And so I think that was a really big decision for me to say, I want to be in this industry. Yes or yes, 100% sold. Um, but it probably won't be, at least right now, running a farm. Um, and, and that was big. G'day and welcome to episode 81 of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Lalive. Welcome back to another Super Saturday. Firstly, I'd just like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and the lands of which I am recording this podcast and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I'd like to extend those respects to the lands wherever you're listening to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. We're back as part of the Syngenta series and I'm really excited to be chatting with the 2020 Regional Growth Awards Innovator Category winner. Sarah Nolet is a household name for many in the Australian ag tech scene. She's also someone who I've been very fortunate to get to know and catch up with on numerous occasions over the last few years. She's definitely someone who I've been itching to get onto the Humans of Ag podcast. So what you may not know, and I learned a heck of a lot as part of this chat with Sarah, was when she came to Australia, she didn't really know anyone. She'd been working with a background in military tech and then started to really discover agriculture but coming across into Australia it was a real unknown for her and over the last six years it's just incredible to see how much of an impact she's made not only to be able to establish businesses of her own here including as the CEO of Agthentic and general partner in Tenacious Ventures but also just how her contribution has really accelerated ag tech in Australia. I did want to start off. So um, last time I saw you, we were in the AgriWeb office for the last networking thing that happened. Um, you've then headed over to the US. So whereabouts are you in the world now? So I'm in California right now uh, for an unexpectedly long time. Uh, but yeah, sitting where I grew up actually in, in Silicon Valley. Amazing. Has it been pretty awesome seeing the family after a couple of years away? Yes, it has been awesome to be home. I There's also a reason I don't live at home with my parents. I love my parents, but uh, <laughs> there's a reason I don't live here. I left home at 17 uh, and uh, no, they've been fantastic and, and really um, accommodating and it's been awesome to see them, see the dogs, all that kind of stuff. Um, also anxious to get back to normal life uh, in Australia. So you've just mentioned Silicon Valley is where you are now. Has that always been home for you? So I grew up here um, since I was little and uh, we had a bit of a hobby farm in my teens up in the north of California. So I spent time there um, and that sort of, I guess, shaped things uh, in terms of where I've ended up. Um, but then I went out to the East Coast for university and worked out there originally in grad school. So I was on the East Coast of the U.S., for about 10 years um, before moving to Australia. So I haven't actually called Silicon Valley home uh, in, yeah, well over 15 years now. Well, why was Silicon Valley? Were your parents involved in, in tech? They were, yeah. So um, both my parents worked in the semiconductor industry. Um, they are both chemical engineers uh, and were kind of in the thick of things. They both worked for like semiconductor companies. Then dad was a... Um, entrepreneur and then angel investor and now entrepreneur is sort of jumping back and forth as you do and definitely being part of that world has played more of a role in my life than I thought it would you don't sort of realize that until you look back and remember that you know dinner table conversations were about what deal to do or how to 
you know, get teams to follow leaders or, you know, row in the same direction in the same boat and all these like management sayings and phrases my dad would throw out, like it, it's all kind of come full circle um, in a pretty cool way. So definitely had an impact. As he sat at the dinner table over the last few months, just <laughs> nearly talking in a, in a mirror to a younger self. It's actually, yes, definitely some of that. What's been super fun is, um, I mean, my parents are divorced and I've always had a pretty like adult relationship with them and, and with my stepdad as well, who also is involved in the tech industry. Um, and that's been really, uh, I think a big part of my life. I've just like spent a lot of time with people who were older than me and, and had like adult relationships. Um, even as a kid, what's fun now is that my dad and I are sort of facing similar challenges work-wise in some sense, like he's advising companies, we're investing in companies. And so talking about like different dynamics and how do you get your own ego out of the way to support founders? Like we're going through similar things, even though he's got way more experience in it than I do. So that's been really fun just to compare notes. Like he called me yesterday saying, you know, Hey, I have this situation. We're trying to pitch to this investor. I'm trying to explain the problem this way. What do you think? And I could actually give him useful advice and then run a problem by him and he could sort of compare notes. So that's been really fun. Do you think that's one of like the blessings in disguise for the COVID piece, particularly like in your scenario is that this time you never would have got and maybe the conversations never would have happened. Definitely. Uh, and in fun places, like some of those conversations with my dad have been at the farm. So we're sort of like, you know, between laying irrigation pipe or something, you know, go inside and then talk about business. And so it's been this really cool intersection of ag and tech, um, even like in, in a personal way um, and for sure getting to be home. And then, you know, the fact that I turn around to sign on to work and I might be on Zoom with a group of farmers or whatever. And so uh, all those things like really weren't possible even a couple of years ago. And that's definitely been a silver lining. Yeah. So cool. Uh, you've mentioned the farm a couple of times and that was a question I wanted to ask you. What was, what's your first memory of being involved in the agriculture industry? It's so funny because it's like, what does that even mean anymore? And I know for folks in ag, it's like, you know, being on a farm or part of production agriculture. I mean, like, does a lemonade stand count? Probably not, right? But I was in the backyard harvesting lemons and then like figuring out how to sell and price them and like did that as a kid all the time. Um, wanted to put in a lime tree, wanted to make limeade, like, you know, stuff like that. So like, obviously that doesn't count, but you know, kind of it does. Um, so we, we, dad bought the hobby farm um, when I was around 12. Um, and so probably in terms of being in sort of farm country and on farms would have been around then. Um, but for my whole life, we spent time outdoors. So we would go backpacking every summer and dad was really into like conservation. So we would um, go to different places and he would talk about like forestry and how the forest was managed and how did that intersect with the agricultural land and what did that mean and who owned it and how to think about the animals, but also need to feed people. And so a lot of the like nuanced conversations of land management, I feel like we're part of summers going backpacking since about as long as I can remember. Um, yeah. And then he, he bought the farm. We would spend time there. I think mostly dad wanted to buy equipment at auction and fix it up. And he still does quite a lot of that. I mean, we've got like three excavators and a rock crusher. I don't think any of which work. 
but he's working on them uh, and loves it. <laughs> so it's it's definitely not a working farm. And I wouldn't claim in any ways to, to be a farmer. I've grown up on a farm. Um, but just like knowing what those challenges are like, you know, when right to repair comes out, it's like, oh, I get that because I've had to like sit under, a, you know, an excavator and figure out how to, you know, like all that kind of stuff. You just have have context for it. Um, and then I, I actually never really considered a career in agriculture at all. Probably, if anything, was interested in food a little bit because I was an athlete. So I always played competitive sports um, and that was a big focus for me um, up into my 20s, really. Um, and then it wasn't until mid twenties when I sort of took my foot off the gas, was working in the tech industry, building large scale intelligence analysis systems, like nothing to do with ag, uh, ended up in South America living on farms. And that initially was so that I could get outside and go backpacking in, in Argentina and just kind of be in the mountains and, and figure out what I wanted to do with my life. But I ended up living on this little farm, uh, and it just totally changed my world, you know, I was harvesting tomatoes and um, thinking about how machines could do that better and then thinking about how they were running their books and did they know the cost of production and the winery next door had equipment but the one on the other side had labor and like why did one have one and the other didn't and how are they thinking about adoption and um, just went down the whole rabbit hole. Um, so that was probably the real big moment but yeah a lot of those dots from from before that kind of connecting in, on the way. And so were these all conversations you were having out loud or were they, was it in your head while you were working on the farm? <laughs> a lot of it um, was actually out loud. I mean, the farm I was on was a pretty magical place in that they were, you know, accepting volunteers from around the world and, you know, classic kind of deal. We would work for free. They would give us room and board um, and, and that worked for some. And uh, for me, like I sort of wanted to go deeper into it. And so, um, you know, would, would get pretty deep into, well, why, you know, if you're processing tomatoes, like, why don't you build a canning factory or have you run the cost of production data to see if you're making more money off the cookies or off the potatoes or off the tomatoes? Like, should we do more value adding? And just couldn't really stop my brain from going. Um, and at some point the family was like, all right, well, like, if you want to go calculate all the cost of production data, like, go ahead. Uh, and I was like, great. Well, pulling tomatoes in the summer is tough on an organic farm. There are lots of, you know, pests and mud and weeds. And so I'll definitely do the books. Um, and then found some interesting insights around like, you know, what was making more money and what wasn't. Um, and actually since then they've decided to expand some of their, um, like they had one oven in the kitchen and now they've got like an oven where they do more of the value adding. They've got a little tomato canning, um, you know, factory is the wrong word, but you know, building on the property and, and stuff like that. So um, it just got my mind going around, you know, why are things the way they are in agriculture and what could change them, whether it's technology or business or just people that know nothing asking silly questions. <laughs> you mentioned that you headed to South America to do a bit of hiking and to somewhat find yourself or make the plan for what was next. So what was the, did, did you find what you wanted and needed there or was it a year of fun and and questions? No, I mean, it was definitely, well, it was definitely fun. Definitely questions. Um, turns out I'm really bad at being a hippie. Uh, <laughs> I like, you know, to-do lists and getting up early and being productive. Um, but I tried my best to be a hippie. Um, and I mean, I learned a ton just about myself, right? You sort of 
wonder if you can be a different person and it turns out you can't uh you kind of are who you are <laughs> and so that was good learnings too um and just knowing that you know i wanted to operate on a big scale i wanted to be thinking about technology and large-scale systems change and um i mean one of the big questions i came home with was like okay should i farm do i need more credibility in the industry do i need to go spend a number of years like actually having done this um to feel like i can make a change. Um, and so when I came home, I, I, you know, called dad and said, Hey, can I come up to the farm for a bit? And so we spent a couple months there and, um, I was like, you know, I just, I just don't love this. Like you, you have to really love farming and I love this industry. I want to be on farms. I want to be working with farmers. I absolutely respect what they do. I have a different skill set to bring and it's not going to be right now running a farm it's going to be looking at this from a different angle um and so i think that was a really big decision for me to say i want to be in this industry yes or yes 100 sold um but it probably won't be at least right now running a farm um and and that was a big big thing and i mean before the before this trip i was working in the defense industry like nothing to do with agriculture so it was a, a truly pivotal moment and i can't see myself doing anything but working in food and ag um the rest of my career so a pretty big change hey it's nick here sheep farmer and rabobank regional client council member i'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community well-being and build strong local economies my job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives. Those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability, and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision, and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. I'm glad you brought up the defense piece because I was going to say the military, which um, might have been, yeah, somewhat left to feel. But so you actually, you went to uni, studied in computer science and then started to work in, was it basically defense technology? Yeah, so I was at a defense contractor. Um, we were building, like we would partner with big um, other defense contractors, Lockheed Martin, BAE, uh, and work on often government contracts, in my case, DARPA, which is a big defense um, research organization in the US. And we would build um, intelligence analysis systems or other kinds of, um, yeah, d d defense technologies. Uh, in the case of what I was working on, it was a pretty cool project because um, there was all this amazing different kinds of sensor technologies, you know, satellites and processing and, and all kinds of stuff. And we, our team was responsible for figuring out, okay, who's going to use this and what are they going to do with it? So I found myself in this really cool role of translating between all this complex technology and the humans who actually needed to make decisions and like, how do they simplify the technology? What's the ROI? What's the business case? How does it work now? Why does it work that way? And so had this kind of product role um, and absolutely loved that. And, and I mean, that's a lot of what we do now in agriculture, right? Translating between the tech side and the ag side. Um, so was initially doing that in the defense industry and just realized that the next step in that 
kind of progression would have been either to kind of gain credibility on the military side, you know, go serve or kind of study it more, or, you know, spend my nights and weekends really learning about that world. And I just couldn't bring myself to do it. It's not that it's not important. It just wasn't interesting to me. And that's what led me to say, all right, I'm going to go to South America just honestly for a couple of weeks and then got there and decided to stay for almost a year. And that's what really changed things. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of those same skill sets, I think we, we still apply, uh, with what we do at authentic, but came out of a very different context for me personally. Yeah. Cool. In terms of the, so you, you went home and we're getting to the point where you come to Australia, but before that, so had you actually in the Silicon Valley, the home of technology, had you started to work in and around agriculture technology there or was, yeah. Uh, only insofar as I was kind of poking around, taking meetings, seeing what was going on. Uh, so when I came back from Argentina, it was around when um, Monsanto at the time acquired the Climate Corporation. And so this kind of ag tech world was kicking off. And so I, you know, was setting up meetings with people, asking what was happening, starting to, you know, read Ag Funder News, like the, the kind of early days of ag tech, this was sort of 2013-14, were starting to happen and I was hooked, like consuming everything I could, starting to think about writing um, and figuring out like, okay, what role did I want to have in the space? Um, but no, it's not like I had a job in the space. I started doing consulting and, and um, work there kind of during my master's um, around that time. Yeah, cool. And then moving to Australia was actually following your partner and was it did you have a plan coming to Australia? Were you thinking ag tech's what it's going to be? Or was it just a let's get over there and see? Definitely. So I came home from Argentina, spent that summer on the farm, realized I didn't want to be on the farm, moved, uh, well, was, was back in Boston, um, did a master's there. So I was there for two years um, at MIT doing um, a master's in, uh, I mean, really what was an exploration into ag tech. I mean, I took agribusiness classes at, at Harvard and sustainability and supply chain classes at MIT and use the kind of benefit of having an MIT email address to email absolutely everyone I could and understand what the heck was going on in the space. Uh, and so was able to, you know, do a master's thesis on corporate venture capital and venture capital and impact investing in ag tech at the time when it was really just getting started and did sustainability consulting out in Iowa, you know, wanted to spend time in the Midwest of the US. So went out there um, for a few months and did a project did work with Rabobank on corporate innovation, helped them launch a prize at MIT. So a lot of the kind of early stage ecosystem work that I've kind of done in Australia, I was doing in Boston during those few years and, and figuring out like, what is ag tech need that's different from traditional venture capital? How do we get corporates involved? How do we have an impact lens? Does that even make sense? What does it look like? Um, so asking and, and trying to answer a lot of those questions. Um, and then as I was finishing up at MIT a couple of years later, uh, my partner, David, had a job offer in Australia. I think he got the offer in like October and we just said yes and decided to move in December. So it was really unexpected and really quick. Um, and yeah, showed up in Australia and didn't know anyone, um, but very much wanted to work in agriculture and ag tech, had no idea what that would look like. I mean, honestly, like 
had no idea about Australian agriculture. I wish I could say what I would say now, which is I looked on the map and picked like the best country to be doing this in. Uh, and it was Australia and I moved here. That was not true. I got lucky, but I, I would still say it's true um, that that it is the best place. Really, we've been investing in climate adaptive agriculture for decades and uh, Australia is, is a pretty amazing place to be doing this. But uh, in some ways, I got lucky. So where, where did you start when you got here? So we, um, we arrived in Sydney and had one of those, you know, like corporate apartments uh, that, that companies put people up in. Um, we, we thought, you know, knowing nothing about Australia, we're like, oh, everyone must live right downtown. That's the place to live. And I think we got here on a Saturday and we were like, where is everyone, you know, in the Sydney CBD, like everyone leaves on the weekend and is outside the city. We're like, what is this place? Like, there's no one here. Uh, and then, you know, you get out to one of the beaches and you're like, ah, here's everyone. This is where they are. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we end up falling in love with Manly, uh, and moving out there. Um, and that's where we've been since. Was it daunting coming into a new country, not knowing people and looking at the lens of, yeah, you want to get into an industry, but probably finding your feet in Sydney is a, a hard place. Who was the first person to, yeah, take you under their wing? Uh, there was a couple that I am still really close with and grateful to. So one, ironically, was actually Matthew Pryor, my now business partner. He had written a article on ag tech. Like I couldn't, I was Googling Australian ag tech, looking at Australian ag tech companies. Like there really wasn't anyone, right? Like AgriWeb had just maybe raised their first round. Uh, I met AgriDigital when they were like two people and uh, three people and then just want to hack about like, so it was really early days of what's now the kind of Australian ag tech scene um, as we know it today. Um, but yeah, Matthew had written this article on like, you know, why Australia for ag tech or something like this coming out of the 400M forum in Toowoomba, the very first, first one. Um, and I messaged him on LinkedIn and was like, hey, I just moved here, like have been working in the ag tech space, studying it really keen to understand what's going on in Australia. And he was so nice and just was like, yeah, here's my, you know, mobile, call me. And I remember being like, oh man, is he going to like have an Australian accent? Will I understand him? Like, <laughs> I was just like, I hadn't talked to anyone, right? I've been sitting alone in, you know, my apartment trying to figure out where the heck we were going to live and finishing up my master's and everything. Um, and, and he was great. Uh, and obviously I could understand him like <laughs> many Australians. <laughs> Uh, so that was great. And, um, so he was one, the other one was Richard Heath, um, at the Australian Farm Institute, actually, uh, around the same time they were putting on that first, um, digital agriculture conference when everyone was like, you know, is this going to be ag tech, digital ag, the precision to decision project was just kicking off again, a lot of the early days of work in Australian ag tech. Um, and Richard was, was hosting this conference and it was like, I don't know, pretty expensive ticket, you know, two, 2000 bucks or 1500 bucks or something. And I was a grad student, like didn't have a job, um, was still doing some consulting back in the States, but, um, you know, wasn't sure what, what the career would look like. And I'm being like, I don't know if I can pay for this conference. I have no idea if it's any good. Like, you know, would, would I even go? So I emailed Richard and said, Hey, um, can I come to your conference for free, but I'll write you a press release. Um, and I've done a bunch of writing, you know, here's some guest posts I've done on Ag Funder and you've do, here's some credibility, um, but but I'll come and then write you this press release. And he was like, sure, okay. And I, you know, at, at the time, I'm sure he was like, oh, this will be interesting. Um, but I came and I remember thinking that 
after the conference, you know, a day later, I'd go back home, I'd summarize all my notes, blah, blah, blah. And day one of the conference lunchtime, he comes over and taps me on the shoulder and is like, hey, so where's that press release? And I'm like, uh, yep, it's, it's coming. And I like go out into the hallway and like, you know, behind a table or something in the corner. And I'm like, uh, all right, here we go. Let's have a crack and, and wrote up a press release, um, that they published. And so Richard and I now laugh, uh, over this story a lot. He's thrown me into some fun, um, you know, just various things since then we've collaborated a ton. They've subcontracted to us. We've subcontracted to them. We've just, we've just become really good friends and collaborators. Um, so those were two really early examples of Australian ag just opening up. I mean, Bob McKay at AgriDigital was another, Jared Hines at Delta, like tons of people have just been, um, absolutely amazing in, in saying, you know, Hey, we're, we're welcoming a different perspective. Um, and how can we get you involved? This episode and the four-part mini-series is proudly sponsored by Syngenta, the team that has been bringing global agriculture innovation to Australia for more than 90 years. Their world-class seed varieties and crop protection products help farmers overcome climatic challenges and sustainably grow more food, feed and fibre for all of us. What's it like So looking at... It's amazing kind of when you're talking about the your studies in 13 and 14 and then even just coming to Australia well, six years ago or something now, um, just how quickly the industry has evolved. Yes. It's been fantastic. I mean, the startup scene moves quickly anyways, and it's not like innovation in agriculture is new. It's not like technology in agriculture is new in some ways we've just put a new label on it. Um, but it does have, you know, a different, flavor now there's venture capital investment there's corporate venture capital investment there's accelerator programs there's startups there's people from other industries uh, and all those things tend to move pretty fast um so it's i don't know maybe it's like one of those overnight successes that took 15 years because australia has been investing in in research in this space for decades um, but we're starting to see a lot of that get commercialized in these new ways and i think that's the fundamentally new bit so in your roles now and i, I was going to rattle off a few that you've had in the last few years, but Agthentic is the advisory piece, Tenacious Ventures, um, really exciting that you guys are a venture capital firm that's investing in ag tech. Then you had farmers to founders helping really early stage people on farm as well with their ideas and, and accelerating that. Is there, yeah, like, I guess, firstly, do you have more hours in the day? Like, it seems like the last six years have just been flat out for you. Yes, it is also just how I like to be. Like I said, was not a good hippie. Uh, <laughs> turns out I like getting up early and working hard and it's just kind of who I am. Uh, and also I'm just passionate about it. Like there's more giant problems and opportunities in this space that I'm super excited to solve. And so I wouldn't get up every day and work as hard if I didn't really believe in that. Um, but yes, it has been a wild ride and we've really consolidated things. So we, we kind of call ourselves the Agbente group. We've got one arm, which is the advisory. We've got one arm, which is the, uh, investing and then underpinning all that is, um, you know, community and content. So we've got our podcasts and meetups and, um, events and speaking and, and all that kind of thing. So, um, all of that means we spend hundred percent of our time in ag tech thinking about how to bring together, 
agriculture and innovation and often sustainability, really seeing ag as a solution to uh, climate change and um, some of the environmental challenges that we're facing rather than the kind of culprit it often gets blamed as. Yeah. Was it, was it a long road to getting your, yeah, getting AgThentic set up and a lot of kind of just <laughs> long days wondering where the next dollar is going to come from initially? Yes. I mean, it, starting a business is not easy. Um, starting, I mean, no matter what kind of business it is, um, f- for sure. Like there were so many days where my poor partner, David would come home from work and he's had a long day of, you know, working in a sales job, he's managing people, he's running a big business and he, you know, it's just talking to people all day. Right. And I'm sitting in a room by myself, like thinking about and writing about this future that I want to create, um, and moving towards it, but like basically by myself in a room. Right. And he'd come home and I'd be like wanting to just talk and share these ideas and like, think about the future and challenge him on all this stuff. And he's like, I am all talked out. I am all thinked out. Like you need to find another outlet for this. Like this is, this is not going to work for us. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I'm super lucky to have him. He's been really helpful. But one of the things he did tell me was, you know, how about writing content? How about starting to get some of these ideas more out there into the world? Uh, and that was really influential in, um, the journey of starting to, you know, start the podcast ultimately, but initially kind of write on LinkedIn, go to conferences and write up summaries, host the meetup, just get that kind of flywheel going of putting thought out there and attracting other like-minded people. Um, and that brought in business as well. Um, and so that was really the the kind of secret to the early success. Um, but no, I didn't know we would end up having a fund. I mean, that came over time and seeing exactly to your point, like the growth of the ecosystem. So as there was more deal flow, more of these startups that were commercializing Australian research and Australian ideas and innovation. And yet investors were calling us saying, we want to invest in ag tech, like what are the good ones? Um, and, but, but couldn't kind of get to conviction. They're like, oh, you know, is, is this really a good space? Like, who do we call? We don't know any farmers. Are the corporates really going to adopt it, et cetera, et cetera. And we were sitting there going like, yes, this is a great idea, um, but had nothing we could do other than kind of introduce them and hope that they went on their way. Uh, and so at that point, Matthew um, and I had been talking a lot more and sort of saying, how might we work together? And the idea was really, you know, we want to be a high conviction, high support specialist investor. We want to spend all our time in this space. And instead of introducing others to go off on their journey and and hopefully support each other, we want to be that check and that um, support for these companies and to bring that capital into the space to have conviction um, around investing in in agriculture. So yeah, that was the early days of of adding the fund um, to the group and continuing to do the advisory work, although um, in a slightly different format because we don't work with startups or um, kind of the research ecosystem as much, but much more with those corporates who really want to start getting involved in the tech side of things and taking action. Yeah, cool. Where Where's the next evolution of it for you that you see? Like five years you've gone from working very much on the ground level, grassroots now in the corporates. Where's the next step? Yeah, I mean, honestly, what what's super exciting about what we do and what I 
very much plan to continue to do is one day we might be talking to a farmer and later that day, the CEO of a billion dollar company and later that day, an entrepreneur, and then back to, you know, someone else who's working on a, on a farm, maybe not the owner of the farm. And like, if we lose that boots on the ground perspective, then what the heck are we doing? I mean, we've got to grow food. It's going to happen in the ground. It's going to happen on farms. And, you know, you can sit in Silicon Valley thinking about all the tech you want in the world, but software can't feed people and it's got to move around and you need, you know, trucks and bins and dirt and so like all that stuff. So um, definitely don't want to lose that connection. Um, our business model is evolving to be able to incorporate different kinds of stakeholders as investors. So we have farmers as investors in the fund. We have farmers who kind of put their hands up to be early adopters of some of the technology. Um, we have startups who are starting businesses. We have people who aren't ready to start a business, but want to work in the business. Um, so we really know that we need a whole, whole diverse range of, of humans of agriculture um, or humans of ag tech, maybe in our case uh to work in this space um and and that's absolutely what we're going to continue to do we will continue to be investing um and and growing out that side of the business investing uh, both in australia and offshore um and uh absolutely think that having that australian connection is key because of all the reasons i said around the innovation and the farmers here with with the us piece now like are that in terms of uh, yeah, benchmarking Australian ag tech. Have you? Where do we sit in the global scene, uh, scheme of things? Yeah, so I would say um, from an innovation technology perspective, like Australia has world-class technology, world-class innovators. We haven't had as many companies, but I would say any kind of company you see elsewhere in the world, there's also one in Australia. They're also you know, doing, doing great work and have great um, underlying innovation, um, just smaller ecosystem where Australia is definitely different is on the capital side. So there's just so much money in some of these other countries because there is this mature startup landscape. There's venture capital firms with billions and billions of dollars. There's multiple sector specialist funds. There's climate tech funds. There's deep tech funds, you know, and in Australia, it's just a much smaller space. Um, so there hasn't been that kind of capital coming into the space, uh, but we're starting to see it. Um, there's obviously other funds investing here um, and more involvement from the research ecosystem in terms of ag tech and government uh, in terms of ag tech as well. So starting to happen, um, but I would say um, just a bit smaller. That doesn't mean we're necessarily behind, but um, uh, just a bit different, um, given that scale. Having to work harder for each dollar that comes through. Is that, is that part of the, yeah, that's a good thing though. Yeah, for sure. Is that part of the plan for you guys to go offshore? Like you just mentioned investing in Australia and overseas, is that to also open up the, the dollars? To yeah. So our first fund is, um, predominantly focused on Australia. 80% of our capital we will be deployed into Australian domiciled startups when we invest. And we've already made some amazing investments into Australian ag tech. Uh, we will continue to do that. That's absolutely the plan. Uh, we also see incredible innovations that are coming to us from elsewhere in the world, whether that's Europe or the US or um, Southeast Asia, Latin America. Uh, some of those innovations have potential for Australian agriculture, and that's awesome. We want to help with that. And some of them are targeting other markets um in other places so we see ourselves uh continuing to be early stage high conviction high support uh, but expanding out to other geographies um embracing those australian roots and all the um yeah amazing innovation that continues to happen in australia 
It's it's so exciting, and I reckon even um, the whole political discussion in Australia over the last few weeks around climate and for for what seems like the first time, it's really like farmers are being talked about on the front line of this, and it's these decisions, whatever it was that was discussed and decided when the Kyoto Protocol happened. It's like it's so cool that one that we've finally delivered a position on climate, but two that it it feels like this is a real turning point, an opportunity for Australian agriculture. It's absolutely an opportunity. And, and one of the exciting things about agriculture, as opposed to other industries, is we can be part of the solution. And a lot of the dialogue so far has been, oh, you know, thou shalt clean up these, you know, waterways or, you know, do these practices. And now it's a lot of an opportunity to say, well, we're managing this land, we're stewards of this land, and how do we sequester carbon? How do we increase water quality? How do we, you know, do all these benefits um, for for nature and for the population? Uh, And actually seeing that as a unique solution, if you're a um, you know, pharmaceutical company, you can do an amazing job for human health, but, you know, for the planet, it's pretty tough other than just doing less bad, whereas agriculture can actually do good. Um, and that's absolutely how we see it. Yeah. And I think it, what's been cool in Australia is that uh, private markets, private money has moved far quicker than government in this. Like we've yeah seen those big businesses looking at the whole locking up country or looking at sequestering carbon and actually creating markets out of it. It's it's cool when you see the Macquarie banks and the um, yeah big end of town looking at ag as one and a real investment opportunity and two when it comes to such a big kind of challenge and opportunity for it. Absolutely, and we're I mean what's been interesting here in in being in the U.S. is you know, I'm talking to all these investors that are looking globally and they're like, oh, you know, for ag and especially for the soil carbon stuff and and carbon sequestration, Australia is really leading. Like we're seeing the best solutions come out of there. You guys have this, um, you know, market, you've got a price on carbon. There's people, you know, doing work in this space. There's farmers pushing the needle, um, like Wilmot and Cavan Station on the private side, selling credits to Microsoft. Like Australia is really, you know, ahead here. And that's been great to see because we've been sort of saying that from Australia like hey we're we're really doing this stuff um but the world's starting to recognize that um especially given a lot of that private sector action like you said yeah with uh, you've mentioned um wilmot and cavern station so i know like on your podcast side of things ag tech so what which you started a few years ago and you've had some pretty awesome people i was actually scrolling through the list the other day just looking at who you'd had in terms of is there what what was the motivation was it really a, a networking tool in the first instance and thought leadership? Yeah, I would say there was two reasons. One, um, it's just really hard to connect with farmers. And as you said, I'm sitting there in Manly. I mean, I spend lots of time out in in the regions and absolutely love doing that and and know how important it is. Um, But I'm not on a farm. And even if I was, I'd only be on one farm in one community. And there's lots of farms and lots of communities. So how do you kind of do that at a bit more scale and connect farmers with each other. I mean, you, you know, would have this experience again and again of, 
a farmer would come to a conference, they would tell the story and they'd be the one that everyone wanted to talk to after. Cause it was like, oh, wow. Like that's how it actually works. Oh, like that's how you're really doing that. Oh, you know, this isn't, is what's not working in the technology side, right? They're these heroes. Um, and no one was telling really those stories and getting that out there. And um, I wanted to hear more of them. So that was kind of one was to, to tell those stories and then to bring in the other perspectives in, in this new world. You know, what are the entrepreneurs doing? What are the investors doing? How do we share um, all the different sides of, of the kind of ag tech coin? Um, the other one was just I'm actually a, a pretty big introvert and find it hard to, you know, go up to someone and be like, hey, so like, do you want to tell me this story that deeply touches who you are and how you think about your business, even though you have no idea who the heck I am? Uh, that's not easy for anyone, but it's definitely not easy for me. Um, and somehow having a podcast and just saying like, Hey, I have this podcast. Do you want to come talk about it on the podcast? Um, breaks down the walls a little bit. Uh, and I found that really, really helpful. Uh, that really surprises me that you're an introvert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I am. Uh, I, yeah, de decently well-kept secret, I suppose, but yeah, I mean, in, in terms of where I get my energy from, uh, it is definitely like being in that dark cave by myself. Uh, even though I do love hearing and telling these stories of other people. Um, yeah, it costs me a bit. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's interesting. It, it's where you need to lean back into the Central American hippie. <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah exactly i need to get out in nature you know with a backpack and and no one around <laughs> on that i'd love to know what is your driver i think yeah well what drives you oh my gosh um well i i mean I just couldn't be more excited about the potential of of great humans and amazing technologies and new business models backed by aligned capital to solve big problems um, in this space. So uh, I think it's a systems challenge. There's no kind of easy solutions. There's no silver bullet solutions. And that takes the messy, complex intersection of, you know, people and, and technology and business models. Uh, and agriculture is absolutely the coolest place to be doing that. It matters so much for people. It matters so much for our planet. We don't have any time left to waste. Uh, and I just couldn't be more excited about it. I think that's the kind of big picture on a day-to-day. -day. I mean, I love the people in this industry. I've just like the idea that you get to, um, pretty much every holiday I've been on for the last 10 years, I end up asking someone who knows a farmer in that area and then getting to go visit a farm. And then, you know, you get invited to stay at dinner and then you end up in these conversations where you're like, in what other industry would I be, you know, sitting at your kitchen table, mm -hmm. hearing about the challenges you face in some combination of your business and life, you know, you might get one window on either side of that. You might have a personal conversation or a business conversation, but they're so intimately tied together. Um, and that, and then it's about the community and then the supply chain and the, you know, then it has this big global overlay. And like, I just think it's such a cool industry with, with really amazing people. Um, and that just continues to, um, excite me and, and feel really, um, yeah, humbling that the entrepreneurs and the investors and the farmers and, and agribusiness, um, you know, we call them ag tech operators, no matter who you are, you can be an ag tech operator, um, are just absolutely uh, impressive and, and inspiring. Do you kind of pinch yourself and laugh sometimes when you think, at, looking back at your childhood of someone who was 
out in nature, your data in conservation and the technology side. And somehow now this is a career, but yeah, you're actually transforming an industry in Australia as well, which has been fundamental to who we are as a country and kind of where we're going. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely pinch myself um, and, and I've been super lucky and, and privileged to have been able to do this. It's it's not been without hard work, but but lots of luck and help along the way. Um, I would say the funny thing is when I, you know, my the message from my parents and growing up in Silicon Valley was like, do well, you know, go invest in technology or build technology, whatever, and then do something good for the world. Even that was my dad's path, you know, buying the farm and thinking about conservation sort of after he'd made money in another industry. And where I sit is like, no, you can do both. And especially in agriculture, you can do good and do well. And I still think that message for some people is pretty challenging that it still seems like, no, if we're going to, you know, solve climate change, that has to be out of the philanthropic arm of what we do. Uh, and I just couldn't disagree more. We need solutions that are commercial and impactful. And I think that's the really exciting part. And that's where I pinch myself same, saying, you know, how lucky that I don't have to make this trade-off, but we are finding ways to actually do both yeah it's it's pretty incredible isn't it as someone who is recognized as a leader in australia and in specifically around the syngenta growth awards you you're the winner of the innovation category or the innovator category do you do you see or do you feel like there's a lot of responsibility and, and eyes on you um as part of that uh i i guess yes although um in taking the path that we've taken around putting out so much content and speaking at conferences and being on the podcast maybe that's a challenge i had to grapple with uh along the way you know you don't when you release that first podcast you know only you know a few people listen to it as you know at first and then it grows but you're like all right you know i'm really putting myself out here and the mistakes i make are going to be totally public and um so i i think that's definitely something to grapple with along the way you know wanting to be um authentic and and show all the mistakes that you're going to make along the way and, and be totally human but also knowing you know people are watching and that matters um and i think that's just a total privilege um in this space and something that you know i'm, I'm you know grateful for and excited about I, I, it's so amazing to have young people uh, people of all ages actually it's not just young people i get people who are in their 50s and 60s you know in a finance career saying hey i want to get into ag tech you know, can, can you help? What startups should I talk to as, as much as we get 20 year olds saying that? Um, and that's such a cool position to be in to say, yes, let's get this amazing talent focused on these problems. Cause it's so important. Yeah. I think on the point of podcast, you sometimes either as a guest or as a, um, interviewer, you're like, Jesus, that's out there now. And it's out there for good. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like the entrepreneurs, right? They're like launching their product inside in the world, or you put that fundraising deck out. I mean, fundraising is such a, um, you know, soul crushing process in some ways. Cause you're like, hi, here is my, like, tell me if I am worthy of your money. Right. It's like this really tough process. Um, you know, do you love my baby or is it ugly? Oh, you tell me it's ugly. Is that me or you? I don't know. Uh, it's, so it's really tough, but, but that's part of doing hard things, right. Is, um, finding that balance of, of continuing to put yourself out there and also know that it's definitely not going to be perfect. I hope you guys enjoyed that chat and there were plenty of takeaways. I think what was really cool was Sarah being able to reflect on actually sitting alongside her dad now 
back at home in the US for the last couple of months and being able to bounce ideas and compare where they're at in their various careers, both involved in tech. Now, while you're listening to this, we've been on the road and recording at the Kolai Hotel. So this Wednesday, we've got a little special episode for episode 82. It's going to be a live podcast that I'm recording in the Kolai Hotel and to a crowd of people. So we're going to see how it goes and I can't wait to share this one with you. Look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane and I'll chat to you next week.